This is episode 59 of Beyond Medicine with New York Times best-selling author Daniel Pink. Many of you might be familiar with Dan from seeing his masterclass on selling and persuasion, and others of you might be familiar with his books like New York Times bestseller Drive, The Scientific Secrets of Human Motivation, or other notable books like When and To Sell is Human. Now, Dan has impacted industries with his research and work on selling, persuasion, and motivation. And we thought it'd be a great time to have Dan on the podcast to talk about some of the things that are leading to such poor incentives in our healthcare ecosystem and why lack of autonomy, mastery, and purpose are leading to things like physician burnout. Dan was kind enough to invite us over to his home and have this conversation. So we hope you guys enjoy it. It's, it's, it's very complicated because the, the whole healthcare system is awash in perverse incentives. So one element of it is that Physicians, not always, but physicians typically get paid for doing stuff. Yep. So the more stuff you do, the more money you make. But it's not clear whether doing more stuff produces helps patients get healthier. Yep. And so if you do th- so, if you do things that actually prevent bad stuff from happening, yep. then um, you don't make money. Yep. <laughs> even though you're being a better doctor. So yep. there's a perversity. There's a perversity right there. Yeah. There is no incentive for doctors there's no in, there's no incentive there's no immediate economic incentive for doctors to get patients to eat more fruits and vegetables there's no immediate economic incentive for doctors to get their patients to exercise more yep. there's no immediate economic incentive for doctors to find ways to help their patients become less lonely yep. and all of those things as you know as a family doc are essential in people's healthcare. Now, where you do make money is on the opposite side of that. So someone who doesn't eat well and comes in with diabetes, there's some money in taking care of the diabetes. Someone who doesn't exercise and then ends up with some kind of injury or some kind of even chronic muscular condition, there's money in that. Uh, Someone who is, someone who has, who is loneliness and has a heart condition or a mental health condition because of that, because of that loneliness, there's money in treating that. But Mm-hmm. That, but, but keeping people healthy, helping them achieve healthy behaviors, there's literally no economic incentive on that. Yep. And that's only the beginning of these perverse incentives. I mean, yep. I, mean I think doctors know this. I, I think one reason I admire doctors is that they're willing to deal with all this crap. For, um, for, for um, who knows for how much longer. Right. Well, it's yeah. one reason yeah. that some people don't enter the profession in the first place. It's, mm-hmm. it's another reason why some people exit the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, even if you think about the, 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 the payment scheme, we, we like, like, you know, it's I don't think we fully determine like what is healthcare. Is it a public good? Is it a consumer good? If mm-hmm. it's a consumer good, as some people like to think that it is, then it's the only consumer good we have where you're actually not really kind of paying for it. Yeah. And so you don't really care about the price. So exactly. everything, in, everything in this office, from the yeah. equipment to the books to whatever, I paid for. So I'm conscious of, I'm conscious of the price. Exactly. But, I don't, yeah. but it's a hard problem, Rami, because I don't think that buying a desk is the same thing as buying surgery. Yep. Um, and I don't know whether it's a great system for, for patients to be out there you know, shopping prices the way I shop a price for a car. Yep. Um, um, and, and, but on the same, by the same token, you have, you know, crazy, if you, you know, I mean, you've seen hospital bills, mm-hmm. look at hospital bills and they're charging a hundred dollars. Well, for they don't even show you them half the time. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah. really, it's a really messed, it's yeah. a really messed up system. And I don't know the best solution beyond 
starting from scratch. Yeah. There's um there's an interesting, you know, there's an interesting analogy that's often used in healthcare and, and specifically in primary care right now with, you know, the way we use insurance for primary care services, preventative services, where, you know, you think about the, the essence of insurance, the way it was created was, you know, to, you know, as insurance against catastrophes. Right. When something horrible happens, right. you know, you have something to protect you so you're right. not, you know, under the, underwater. And in healthcare, we've kind of perverted what insurance is where you use it for like, you know, similar to like, you know, you wouldn't use car insurance for an oil change or right. to line your tires or right. to, you know, get regular maintenance done. Right. But we use it that way in healthcare. And we use it that way in primary care. And it doesn't make sense because these are really low cost, you know, services that you should be able to pay for. And the, the, the market can create a, you know, the free market would, you know, reduce the cost of these services by like, you know, 90%. Could be. I mean, again, I don't know. See, I, like, I think, there's another, I think on that one, there's another way to analyze the problem. The problem could be, I'm not saying it is, I'm just entertaining the idea. The problem could be the existence of private health insurance itself. Yeah. Uh, why have private health insurance? Why not, because of your status as a human being, why shouldn't you be entitled to uh, adequate medical care for basic services? Yep. Um, why should you have to pay private insurance to do that? Why should employers be saddled with this extra responsibility, not only of paying people and, uh, and abiding by labor laws and abiding by environmental laws and you know, uh, some responsibility for education and training. On top of that, they have to provide health insurance when that system itself is a historic, is a historic accident. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, so I, there's, again, the whole, the whole sit, like, no, if you look at the system right now, no one in their right mind would ever have designed a system like this. Nope. And, and unfortunately, we sometimes have this status quo bias where we think that the fact that the, any system, including this system, the fact that it exists means that it is just and proper and right, and this is and this is not. So I think the real question, I don't, and unfortunately I don't have the answer to, is what do you what do you what do you do about this? I, I think what you do, I mean, I think what you do is you have to try some small experiments and things yep. um, to see what works and what doesn't. And we've had some small experiments in this country where we provided greater health insurance in the last ten years to to children, mm -hmm. and that seems both economically wise and morally just. Yep. Um, uh, we have had, I mean, Medicare was, it was a trans, Medicare was a transformative thing in this country. It it's why we have healthier, older people. We mm -hmm. would have, if, without Social Security and Medicare, we would have met so many people in this country who were destitute and unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so, so, mm -hmm. so, so at one point, I think, again, without getting political about this, we see hints. Yep. <laughs> about what the right thing is to do. And the right thing, I think, is to let's take care of everybody because it's just. Yeah. And also, the dirty little secret is it's good for the economy. Mm -hmm. I would like to free employers from the added burden of having to provide health insurance. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about um, <clears throat> like self-employed, uh, self-insured employers where they create, they almost insure their own employees I, under their own uh, um, kind of health care? Um, I, I think that's I, I think that's fine. I, I think that's fine, and I and, and, and I sort of I sort of my kind of philosophical belief is that what we should have is we should have is we should have let let people find the system that the, the arrangement is best for them, but also have some kind of public option for everybody. 
in the same way we have with Medicare. Yeah. If you're 65 in this country, you have health care. Mm -hmm. It might not be the best all the time. You might not be able to get in and see the, the doctor you want all the time. You might not be able to get every single specialty. But mm -hmm. you have health care because we say you're 65 years old and, and, and in this country we have a duty to take care of you. Yeah. Now, if you're 65 and, and older and have and have Medicare and you want other kinds of stuff and you have the means to pay for it, we don't stop you from doing that. Mm -hmm. That's that's fine. But mm -hmm. to me, it's like, let's have that public option available. And if certain people say, you know what, I would prefer to get my health and I would prefer to get my health coverage mm -hmm. from a an employer that decides to self-insure. That's cool, too. I don't yeah. want to I don't want to stop any of that stuff. I don't yeah. want to stop the experimentation. Yeah. I just want to make sure that there's a platform for people. Yeah. Because when there isn't a platform for people, we pay for it anyway. We pay for it with, with uh, emergency rooms, mm -hmm. where people are going into to emergency rooms for, for basic sick care, yep. which, they shouldn't be, which they shouldn't be doing. We pay for it with chronic illnesses that are not um, taken care of earlier and therefore create extra costs later on. We pay for it to some extent with the problem of the unhoused in this country mm -hmm. who have medical problems and, and mental health problems that haven't been treated. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough problem. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really tough problem. I, I think that in this country, there is a, there is a kind of poverty of, of imagination in yeah. thinking through how we tackle this. It is. And <clears throat> I think one part of the equation that's often left out, and I think this is what's happening because be, you know, being in the culture of medicine and like being around other physician college, colleagues, I'm noticing this, you know, constant like burnout of like everybody's yeah. trying to get out. Yeah. And everybody's trying to get out of the insurance based system because it yeah. just burns you out. Totally. And so what I what I anticipate what I think is gonna happen, and I you know, maybe in ten years I'll come back and see this, but I think that we're gonna go into like a two tier kind of system where there is the public option, but the public option is probably really horrible. Yeah, that's that's not good. And then everybody else, like I think most doctors will probably end up going into some kind of cash-based or value-based, membership-based, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Because they the burden the burden is just getting overwhelming, I think, for a lot of physicians. And you know, you know, there's this also there's also like now the mid-level providers as well, like physician assistants and nurse practitioners who are filling a market need at a lower cost and mm -hmm. administrators are taking advantage of that. And, you know, I, I don't know how this will play out, but I do feel like we're going to, we're going to end up getting a lot of physicians. It's already happened essentially, but it just hasn't been to the point where it's actually noticeable yet. But a lot of physicians are just going to leave the system. Yeah. And that's going to leave a lot of people without care. Yeah. And also they're going to choose. So, yeah. so that, that, I think that's a, I think yeah. that's a tragedy and yeah. I think it's a preventable tragedy. And, and I think, I don't know the best way to prevent the tragedy, but a way to prevent the tragedy mm -hmm. would be to think, you see some incremental moves there. So certain medical schools now are saying we we're tuition free. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's generally, I think that's generally a good idea because if you graduate from medical school, yeah. so these students are graduating from medical school with hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. of debt. It's crazy. Hundreds of, hundreds, of, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. I know. Um, and so I know I look at it every day to pay off hundreds of, <laughs> to pay off hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. It's harder yeah. to be a family doc. Yeah. It's harder to be a pediatrician. It's harder to be an ER doctor. Yeah. What you might want to do is you might want to go become a, you know, uh, a dermatologist in a rich area. Um, which is, uh, to, you know, totally understandable. So you can pay off your student, you, you pay off your student loans, 
But, but I think that, 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 that we sometimes, especially when it comes to healthcare, we, someti we, we sometimes conflate these individual decisions and individual choices and individual problems with what are really systemic, systemic issues. Yeah. So I'll give you another example. So the idea that, that this country doesn't devote an enormous amount of its time and treasure and talent in caring for people from the ages of zero to three is absurd. Yeah. If we had a way to, if we had a way where every, per, every kid, even prenatal, so, mm -hmm. so say negative nine months to, mm -hmm. to age three, yeah. if we had this comprehensive care for every single, per, every single human being, mm -hmm. and, and you knew that when you, between zero to three, you had world-class care in this country, mm -hmm. world-class care on every dimension, you don't. You realize like how cost effective that would be over time. Yeah, I, but we but we don't yeah. we don't think about it that way. Yeah. What we have is we have we we have our my kids have a my kids are, are old enough. My kids had a great pediatrician. My kids had a great pediatrician. Yeah. It was fee for service. She took only a limited number of insur of insurance, and it was in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Okay, yeah. so my kids zero to three, they were fine. Yeah, but. Every kid zero to three should have that kind of care. Yeah. yeah. So I think what happens from the positions that I've talked to is that too often they're thinking about things that aren't simply the care for the patient. Mm -hmm. And so how do you design a system that frees up physicians to think about being a physician, not being, do I want to do this? Not, not being, oh, I don't want to do this because it'll create more paperwork. I have to do this test because if I don't, I risk getting sued or even worse, my malpractice insurance requires me to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to, I can't say, oh, I gotta do something with this patient. I gotta do, perform these other kinds of things because I can check out the box and get a few more RVUs. You, yeah. don't, you don't want that. You want yeah. a what can you do to design a system where when a physician goes to see a patient, all she thinks about is that patient and what's yeah. the best care for that patient. And I think that actually my limited experience in dealing with physicians, I think most physicians actually aspire to do that, Yep. but they're human beings. And so it's hard to bat, to bat away all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's the, the, it's happening right now in direct primary care, which is that membership-based yeah. model, where it's like, you know, it's not like concierge with the stigma of like, right. you have to be rich to right, do it. Right, 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 right. It's like, you know, it's like $50 a month and it's yeah. super affordable. And, uh, you know, instead of, you know, billing a patient every time they come in and having to, you know, but the expensive part about medicine is all the overhead. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to run a private practice, there's so much overhead. But if you can just cre remove all the bulk, make a lean kind of practice and then free up your time and just be able to, you know, have your pool of patients, you know, you're getting your money paid every month and then you can see your patients whenever right. they need. Right. So, need so it, and that's an interesting model. So it's yeah. kind of a membership model. Yeah. You yeah. are a subscription model in a way. Right. So, right. I mean, I, and I'm all I'm all for the, I'm all for that. I mean, I think we need we need different. We need to test out different models and see what works. Yeah. But we also need a fundamental commitment where, <laughs> yeah. if you're you get taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. and and yeah. Yeah, and I think I think like if the government could figure out a way to subsidize, kind of like almost like a card or like a membership for like you know, almost like a direct membership for a patient of like, here you can go and choose a doctor and we'll pay this much much a month for this doctor and, you know, the doc, you know, whatever many tests, whatever many 
things you need you're taking care of. And if, if that happens, I think that'd be a great solution. Yeah, yeah. But again, yeah. this is such a deep, this is such a deep systemic problem. It's why we, it's, it's why in this country we spend, what do we spend? We spend, um, um, what is it? Uh, uh, one out of every $7 in our economy. It's ridiculous. Goes to that. And, it, yeah, and it's, yeah. and believe me, it's not, it's not all going to, um, you, Rami, seeing a patient face to face to talk about their lives and and admire your great entrance into the room. It's <laughs> it's it's paperwork. It's yeah. tests that are unnecessary. Yeah. It is, you know, very expensive yeah. equipment which can be, yeah. which 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 can be useful. But I, I, I wish I had a solution to this. Yeah. I wish I had a solution to this problem. Yeah. I mean, I'm like yeah. a do- like I, I feel like I'm the I'm the kind of doctor who like is. You know, okay at diagnosing, but has no yeah. idea what the. I think. Is. I think honestly, nobody knows the solution. That you know, Amazon and whoever else. I forgot. Who but else. that yeah. came apart. Yeah, that fell. Apart. They couldn't even do it. Yeah. Like billions of dollars. Like yeah. if we're mere mortals. How are we going to fix this? <laughs> yeah. Thing? But, but I think I think that you know, going back to that, you know, physician salaries and staff salaries, like that's only eight percent of the entire healthcare spend. You know, like there's all the bulk of administration and. You know the way we use the system is just horrible, um, but I, you know it's it's a I think there's it's a problem that I do think physicians in particular have to kind of bind together to help solve because I know doctors for the most part have you know they care about their patients mm-hmm. and they they care they for the most part doctors have gone into this profession because they really wanted to help their communities yeah. help serve yeah. people. But I think that the, like we've talked about, like the process just grinds you down yeah. to nothing and it creates a lot of resentment. And I've watched resentment grow in colleagues and myself and, and lots of people. And it's because it just, you know, you dedicate your life to something and then it just, it almost like takes a, takes a part of you. Yeah. And it leaves you kind of like, just like, wow, if I don't fend for myself, if I don't do something to, you know, to, you know, look out for myself... What am I left with? I'm left with just, you know, depression and, uh, you know, uh, debt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some on the on the burnout part. There's some evidence. I can't remember who did this piece of research showing that if if doctors have are able to take, you know, like a couple of days a month to work on what is most meaningful to them. Yeah. That that actually alleviates burnout. So it could yeah. be I'm going to instead of being an ophthalmologist for people who live here in the leafy streets of Northwest Washington D.C., where we are, I'm going to take three days a week, three days a month, and go work in a clinic in another part of the city, um, uh, testing vision for uh, low-income kids. That is an, that alleviates burnout. If you can give doctors three or four days a month, if they're interested in research, to do their research. So that's those are small. Yeah, yeah. Those are that, that's not a cure, but it it is it is a palliative at least yeah. for some of the pains of being a physician. Absolutely. But it doesn't get to it doesn't get to the root problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I heard one time I was talking to this doctor and she was talking about um, how she had to see like less patients per day because she switched to this different model of care. And she was just talking about like she she still does the same amount of work, but she felt like her soul was freed up, and that gave her extra energy to go and do pro bono work and to do things to care for her community. And I felt like, I was like, that resonated with me because that our souls are sucked up in medicine. And it's like, it is a cultural thing. It is like a, a thing of like, you know, you feel trapped in a little bit, in a, in a way. 
Um, you know, you always have patients the next day and the patients, you know, like you're always worrying about them. You have liability and things like that. So um, we need some soul freeing in medicine. I don't know how that how we can do that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah. a great it's a great way to yeah. put it. So what is weighing on people's soul? What's weighing yeah. on people's soul is too much paperwork. Yeah. What's weighing on people's soul. So so there's got to there has to be a, there has to be some kind of solution to that. Although part of the problem with that is this patchwork system that relies heavily on private health insurance. Mm -hmm. So what ways, so, so it's too, too much, too much paperwork. Um, I think that there, there is some, I think there's justification on the, I mean, the trial lawyers will hate me for saying this, but I think there's some <laughs> justification for physicians spending too much time being defensive in the way that they practice very, medicine. Very defensive. Um, and so yes. that's another thing that, yeah. that's another thing that weighs on them. Uh, I think that the basic economics are messed up. So if you are getting paid only by the number of patients you see, then if you, and you have a family to feed, then you're gonna to try to see a lot of patients. Yep. Um, and so, but you see some moves there where you have systems that pay doctors a set salary. Uh, and so that might, that might, so I think if you systematically list what is, what are the leeches on the soul of physicians, and mm -hmm. then try to figure out how to remove each of those leeches, I think you can make, I think you can make things, uh, I think you can make things a little bit better. Yeah. What do you think about... But do you regret going into becoming a physician? Would no, you wish no. you would take another path? No, no. I don't regret it at all. I, would I do it again? Absolutely not. I would not do it again. What would you do instead? Um, I don't know. Probably just become a podcast. Just do podcasts. On, but like the thing is, like it's given me wisdom. It's given me experience. It's given me so much uh, you know, relationships. It's given, me, it's given me joy, but it's given me a lot of stress. But mm. I, I just don't think I could do the whole process again. Right. Because, you know, if you have a certain, here's the thing, medicine, if you are a certain personality type, you will do very well. And it's because it's a very linear, straightforward path and mm -hmm. it's just cookie cutter. Yeah. And you just got to do X, Y, and Z. And if you do X, Y, and Z, you're, you're set. So for me, I struggled a lot because I didn't want to do X, Y, and Z. I wanted to do X, Y, Z, and then A, B, C, D. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to work on my projects. And I was, you know, I owned a business during medical school and, I felt I felt like I was constantly being robbed of any creativity. I was constant. I had no autonomy, and, and to, for me, autonomy was especially important. And in a hierarchy like medicine, you really have no autonomy. Um, you know, and that's like that's like an eight-year process where you are kind yeah. of like like that gets programmed into your brain yeah. when you're in, in a hierarchy for that yeah. long. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it really like I had to really fight really hard not to get programmed because I I would catch myself getting programmed. I would catch myself like falling into the trap of becoming like everyone else. And I didn't, I got, I became very resentful because I felt like this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to, you know, be creative. I like to start businesses. I like to, I'm an entrepreneur at heart and medicine is not made for people like me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I felt very resentful going through medicine because I felt like my creativity and my spirit of entrepreneurialism or like that my ability to do the things that I enjoy was coming out and being transformed into this cancer of, of resentment towards the system I was going through. That's not good. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't do it again. I'm grateful for doing it. I'm grateful for the experience, but I, I just couldn't imagine having to go through that again. For my brother, who's type A and who's very like linear, I, I, I don't think he's going to have a problem. For me, though, I just know it was, it was really stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, it wasn't, it's, it's unfortunate that medicine 
is made that way because you have to have some form of grading people, some form of assessing competence. Sure. So there's, you know, I wish there were other ways to assess competence other than just taking a multiple choice exam. But <laughs> I guess, you know, you have patients' lives in your hands. So there has to be, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's, it's, um, there is a culture, at least what I've seen from the outside, certainly in preparing physicians, there's a culture of testing your fortitude mm-hmm. as much as your intelligence or testing your, your, your ability to... Are you righteous st- enough? Are, are you, your, <laughs> your ability to withstand, your ability to suffer, yes. your ability to take the, the blows. Who can be more... And, and, and there might be, but there might be a logic to that because if you're going to freak out because you got a bad grade in organic chemistry as an undergraduate, then you probably shouldn't be a doctor. Uh, if you're gonna, if <laughs> it's you're like gonna, every organic. <laughs> if, if you're gonna freak out, if you're gonna freak out because you got a low grade on your MCAT, you probably shouldn't be a doctor uh, that's, because that's you're gonna deal with though. a lot. You're gonna deal with much more shit as a doctor. Yeah. You're gonna have people who die on you. You're gonna make mistakes and it's gonna hurt people. Yeah. You're gonna have people coming to you in need and not know what to do yeah. and have sleepless nights because of that. Yes. So, so, to, so as an outsider, yeah. I actually think that some aspect of the hazing yeah. is valuable yeah. because we're testing fortitude and grit. Now, I don't think it should be entirely an endurance. I don't think it should be entirely an endurance contest. Yeah, yeah the th- it, it is. There is this. Um, it does harden you in a way. It does toughen you up a bit, um, particularly for females. I think they have. A, I think they also get the. They bear more of the blunt. They, they have, they get, it's a lot worse for them because it's a, you know, especially if you're in a, uh, you know, specialty that's all men. Like, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of female colleagues get really like, like hardened where like they've almost like become like really like resentful too towards the system because they have, they've had to become a certain way yeah, yeah, yeah. to survive in the medical culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it does, it does toughen you up, but it does also... You know, I think there's a there's probably better ways to do it. I think, but um, I don't know. I, I you know I don't like to discourage people from going into medicine because we need doctors. I just like to create conversations that show that look, we have to change something yeah. because we need. We're not. It's not attractive to become a doctor anymore. Like all the debt, you know. What's school. been your experience as a patient? As a patient, um, I'm the worst patient ever, as my girlfriend here will tell you. <laughs> Wow, why? Uh, just because, like, I think I can treat, I can fix oh, it. Oh, I see. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So doc- I guess doctors are notorious for thinking that, but um, um, I guess for I guess for me as a patient, I've always I've always been trying to I've always been a little bit more like a lot, like I wanted to get into a more health optimization mm. where I wanted to be proactively right, like right. addressing my health. So I always right. felt like I was like a step ahead of the curve of what we were learning in medicine. Right. Because I was always like reading the latest science and like reading the latest like, you know, biomarkers and things like that. We weren't even we weren't even touching like in just you know regular family practice because we had we were just sticking to our bread and butter of treating blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes. That's like our bread and butter, and then you know any acute problems that come up. So I we weren't I wasn't learning how to become a healthier person mm. or how to be you know, how to be more optimized, quote unquote. So I was always looking for that from, from a healthcare provider. And 
to be honest, it's not even doctors that are really doing that kind of work. It's more like coaches and... Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as a patient, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess uh, I just go to one of my friends at this point. <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 not a i mean i i don't I, I don't like the idea of having to wait a whole week to get an appointment and yeah. wait in a waiting room and right you know get a 20 minute appointment of i know what's gonna i know what's gonna go down i do the drill all the time so i mean if i want to see a specialist yeah like i want to see the best specialist if i want if i need neurosurgery i want to see the best neurosurgeon you know, like highly specialized things like that. Um, but if it's just like, you know, my routine stuff and yeah. it's pretty basic, then then I feel like, what am I going to, I'm just going to like have one of my friends look at my labs or order them for me. Right. Yeah. Right. What do you think about AI being a, a factor in physicians? This is my question to you actually, yeah. right? You know, like a lot of it. It already is. I think yeah. a lot of it, I think it could happen in, I think it could happen in medicine. Think about diagnosis. Diagnosis yeah. at some level, not entirely, yeah. Yeah. is a set of decision trees. Right. And yeah. is it this or that? Yes exactly. or no. Is it this or that? Yes, no. Is it this or that? Yes, no. And, and software does that pretty well. Yeah, exactly. And I think primary care especially will, if it's not, I think the, the relationship between doctor and patient will never be replaced right. because it's very, very, it's a very strong bond. I don't think technology can ever replace that, but I think that um, almost all chronic management that's algorithmic will be replaced by AI. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think almost all of it. But that could end up yes. freeing doctors to do other things. Yes. Theoretically. Theoretically, yes. It could end up making the profession less soul-sucking. Yes. Because mm. you you automate those kinds of things and yes. you focus on the relationship, on the care, on the things that are harder to... It will be a 100% relationship-based practice. And I think all of the... Everything will be just, you know... you. And AI will be able to just take all the information and give you the diagnosis, adjust your medications. It's very, and, and do it, it a be, lot better it, than- And it could be the yeah. kind of thing where AI can easily diagnose, say, let's, let's, let's take a specific case here. Yeah. AI can obviously diagnose something like diabetes. Yeah. Okay. Um, however, if the AI, if the doctor's time, if her time is freed up from the diagnosis of diabetes, but she still meets with the patient, she can actually get to the contextual and systemic things that might be surrounding that diabetes. For mm -hmm. instance, the person is lonely, lives alone, doesn't have a lot of friends, mm -hmm. is cut off from social connections, and as a consequence of that, is not eating well. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's the kind of, like to me, I think those are the opportunities to, to really get people to be healthy. It's the non-glamorous things, yep. exercise, diet, social connections, yeah. integrated, having a, having a life that has a sense of purpose, those kinds of things have a material effect on our physical health, mm -hmm. but there's zero incentive, limited incentives for doctors to deal with those kinds of things. Yes. I do, I do think that the time part, if, if physicians or you know, any practitioner has more time to spend with the patient, the relationship will strengthen. And I think AI is going to allow for a lot of that freedom. It's going to be like a huge yeah. aid. People, some people think, oh, we're going to be replaced by AI. I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to. Possibly some parts of medicine can be replaced. And that might be a good thing because I think there's just not enough doctors or people. To it, could, it could theoretically keep costs down. 
Yeah. It could. So so there could be there could be there could be an efficient there could be an efficiency side of it. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's exciting. Yeah. I think it's exciting, and I think that the the relationship will continue to be like more and more important because I think people like when you go see your doctor, do you do you have a personal relationship with your doctor where you feel like your doctor knows you, knows your family, and knows things like like. I had a primary care physician for years who I felt that way about. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, but you know, I, I got to him when he was like in his late fifties, maybe early sixties, and yeah. and he ended up sadly passing away oh, um, after after being in his care for about twenty years. He was maybe in his late mid to late seventies. Mm -hmm. um, so I had that, and I have a new doctor now who I primary care physician who I like. I don't go to the doctor that much. So mm. it's like, it's not like health, but it's not like healthcare is like, for me as an individual, is that, that, um, yeah. is that, is, is that salient? I, I feel like the doctors who I do see, I, I mean, I'm incredibly nearsighted. So I have to go to see the ophthalmologist all the okay. time. So, yeah. so I like my ophthalmologist. She's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. um, my primary care physician is a, is I've only been going there for a couple of years. Seems he's giving me some very, very good advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do you and do you think the the relationship with that person like is something that would, you know, if that if there were an AI that could do your job, that could do the whole job better, and you don't you never need to see a person, do you think you'd still? I mean, I think that? I would go see him because because I mean, in, in some way. It, it depends. It, like if I'm just going in for a, for a, if I'm going in for a physical, yeah. To some extent, AI has already taken care of it. So let, let me give you an example. So like they'll do the blood work. Yeah. All right. And so, but the thing is, on the blood work, there already is a little bit of AI there because you get marked saying this is too low, this is too high. Yeah. All right. So you don't need a yeah. doctor to read that; it's flagged already. <laughs> yeah. And so the doctor can take it. So 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 in, in, in that level, the doctor is augmenting machine intelligence already yeah. because the machine intelligence has actually analyzed the blood and actually shown you whether you're out of range for certain kinds of things. True. Um, and so if there if there were a if there were a I I can think like gender, if if I had a serious medical problem. Then I would want to go to a specialist, but I almost would want to have my primary care physician be, in some level, the general contractor mm -hmm. in all of this. Yeah, yep. you know, it's like, okay, help me find the best plumber, help me find the best electrician, and can you and check in to make sure that the plumber and the electrician are doing, yeah, are doing the right thing. Yeah, and the coordination of coordination of care, yeah. and, and that's basically that's a big part of, you know, the primary. And there are systems jobs. that are doing a. a a good job. I mean, I think Kaiser does a really good job of that in many cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I wanted, to, I wanted to go into a separate, um, totally separate discussion. Okay. Um, because I, this was something that I really wanted to touch on earlier, and and you know, like, you know, we talked a lot about primary care, and you know, the the art of seeing a patient, and the art of going into the room, and the interaction, and. Um, you know, you wrote a book called To Sell as Human. I did. And you talk a lot about, you know, the art of selling. And um, as physicians, you know, a lot, a lot, big part of our job is selling patients on, sure. you know, a, either a new treatment or a new lifestyle sure. or, you know, getting them to buy into our treatment plans. Sure. And I think as physicians, we don't, we think of sales as kind of like, I think maybe not all physicians do, but 
because physicians are being sold all the time by device companies, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that, yeah, yeah. they think it's sleazy. Yeah. But really, half our jobs, you know, a lot of the times is selling patients. Sure. So it's an art form, and I'd love to just dive into like some things that, you know, you've done in research over the past about you know selling and how that applies to doctors. Well, I mean, one of the things that you see in the research in, in all white collar work is that people spend a huge portion of their time in any profession selling. Yeah. So physicians obviously are trying to get patients to do things or stop doing things. But, you know, bosses are trying to get their employees to do things or not do things. Um, um, and so there's an element, teachers, um, nurses, um, uh, lawyers, uh, uh, people who work in ad agencies, accountants, like we're all at some level persuading and cajoling and convincing all the time. Uh, to some extent, I'm doing that right here in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so, so it's a big part of people's, it's a big part of people's lives. And, and there's a way to do it ethically and uh, it's, a, it's a way to do it ethically and effectively. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what doctors do, they're in, the, they're in the business of trying to move other people, trying to persuade other people. And what we know, there's a lot of evidence about how to do that effectively. So taking other people's perspective is enormously important. And sometimes doctors don't do that. And sometimes the system doesn't allow them to do that mm -hmm. because they're so rushed. Yeah. Um, uh, helping um, patients, you know, you know, it used to be that doctors, and I think AI is going to change this even more deeply, used to be that the whole nature of expertise was that in any field, including being a physician, was that you had access to information that nobody else had. Yeah. Um, now that a lot of that information is is out there, so you have patients and other physicians have patients who are coming in with printouts or things on their phone saying yeah. they know what's wrong with them. Yeah. And so, do you do you do you resent that? No, I don't think so. I think what you do is you say that expertise now has come not from and your ability to persuade comes not from having privileged access to information, but from being able to curate information, make sense of information, help the patient sort that information. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so being a good information curator is important in being a good persuader. Being able to take, being able to take a patient's perspective, see things from their point of view. Being able to even, to a certain extent, being able to mimic their language, being able to mimic their physical stance, being able to mimic their gestures is a way to mm -hmm. build is is a way to build affinity. And yeah. so, I think that that good doctors are are good persuaders. And also, good doctors are the, the best. The best way to, but but uh, you know, the best way to get people to change their behavior is to make it easy for them to do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, truly. Yeah, yeah. So 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 things like I mean, you see it in in in, in health behavior inside of companies pre-pandemic, where they were, oh my God, our employees are eating too much. You know, we have free food, and employees are eating too much junk food. So what do they do? They put the crappy food in drawers, and they put out fruits and vegetables. In, within people's reach. And guess what? People eat more fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to give them a lecture on the importance of, of um, beta carotene. <laughs> just you made it easy for them to do something. And yeah. so, and so I, I think that, that really, I think that good physicians understand that. They understand that they're in the position of trying to move people from point A to point B. And there are a whole set of mechanisms that you can use to move people from here to there. And that if you do that, if you do that effectively, you're not doing something sleazy, you're doing something transcendent. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, I, you know, I, I hate the idea of sales being sleazy because, you know, I, whenever I, I used to do a sales job before I went to medical school. And for me, I used to think of like, I used to think I was helping people. And I was like, I used to always put it in my sure. head of like, I'm here to help people. Yeah. I'm like, 
I thought of sales as like helping people. That's how you do it. And I wanted to help people. In the long run, yeah. Yeah. And so like I, w- I worked at a nutrition supplement company. Um, and so I was like, you know, someone would come in and they'd have like a workout plan. I'd be like, oh, okay, here, I got to You got to get this, this, and this. This is going to like, this does this. And I'd talk about each thing and I'd be really excited about them like getting on, you know, whatever nutritional. I didn't know anything about nutritional supplements at the time. <laughs> There's a little, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but it's the art of helping someone reach their goals or, you know, the art of helping someone, uh, you know, it's just, for me, it felt like I was helping. I didn't feel like I was ever selling. And I think um, that's what really good salespeople do. And when, and, you know, I think when, as a physician, you're not ever labeling something sales. You're trying to help a patient yeah, by trying yeah. to convince them. Yeah to do something yeah. and get them to buy into that. And sure. For me, what's worked is, you know, always having, first, before I can ever change anyone's mind, like I feel like I need to have good rapport. Right. If I have good rapport with them and they trust me and they, they like me as a doctor, then I that's half the battle. And then, you know, the other thing is, like you said, can I make one little step that's going to help them, that they're going to be able to achieve and then reward them for that? And I think rewards sometimes work in that. And my my way of rewarding a patient is just like being, wow, like you know, you did we did we did what we said we were, we were going to do, the amazing job, you know. Let's keep doing it. Let's do this again, and let's you know check back in a month, and let's you know, let's now instead of just eliminating bread, now let's eliminate pasta too out of okay. the diet. So it's like one actionable step, and then another actionable right. step. And I love love that you mentioned that. Right. No, I'm but I think, excited I, think that, I think that I think that it's I think that it's yeah. I think that it's super important. I think that good doctors yeah. know it. Yeah. Uh, I think good doctors know it instinctively. And yeah. you know, one of the things in any kind of profession, but certainly in a profession where you're trying to change people's behavior, is the capacity to get out of your own head and see things from someone else's see things from someone else's point of view. Absolutely. And that's most of us are, are pretty bad at that. Yeah. Um, but we can get better at it. Yeah. If you were a doctor, what kind of doctor would you be? I think I'd be a pretty terrible doctor, actually. What? Um, no, I think you'd be a really good doctor. No. I, th- I think you'd be a really good doctor. I think it'd be a... Uh, um, You're either a neurosurgeon or a pediatrician. Uh, there's no way I'm going to be a... There's <laughs> no way I would be a neurosurgeon. There's no way I would be a surgeon. I'm not cutting people up. You're like two opposites. And, and, also, and also, the other thing about this is that I have... I have I test very, very poorly on spatial reasoning. So mm. the idea of sort of cutting into a three-dimensional object called a human being is probably not what I should be doing. Um, I would probably, um, uh, I, I think that I would be more, I think I'd be more likely to be a, um, maybe family medicine actually. Really? Uh, yeah. So I could see that dealing, dealing with the whole gestalt of people's lives or possibly a psychiatrist just because, just because, um, I could totally see as a that. writer, I like hearing people's stories. Yeah, I could totally. And see I'm that. also interested in the brain, and so psychiatry is really about you know at some level diseases of the brain. Yeah. Well, you understand people. I think you have. I think you have an intuitive sense. I don't know about that, but I'm I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested. In, I'm interested in hearing what people have to say. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, know you're, I you're analytical. You observe. You're, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 analytical, but yeah, yeah I don't. I, I had no desire to ever become a doctor. Yeah. I hope I yeah. yeah. <laughs> Law school's enough, right? No, I didn't I never really it's interesting. I never I never I never thought of it. I never like like yeah. it's never sort of like in the doesn't you know, it didn't seem like what I would be particularly good at or what I would enjoy. Yeah. 
Interesting. What made you go into like, well, why'd you go into law at the time? Well, I mean, at the time I was, I was really interested in politics and public policy and that seemed like a good thing to do. Yeah. I was also a middle-class kid from the Midwest. And so I felt like if I didn't have a graduate degree, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, the world would collapse beneath me and I'd end up on the street. Yeah. We're, we're in the Midwest. I grew up in, uh, in central Ohio. Oh, okay. That's super Midwest. Uh, it's it's Midwest. There's nothing super about it, though. <laughs> That's funny. Well, um, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to end this podcast just by, you know, thanking you and thanking you for the, the time and the conversation. It's been really fun for me to, like, kind of talk about these things that I just, like, I've been weighing on myself and I think weighing on our community as well. Like, I think doctors, um, you know, I think they've all been feeling really stressed out over the last year and a half. And I think people, I think they haven't felt heard, you know, I think the news and like COVID and, and like, I think a lot of doctors just got really burned out and I'm just trying to like really showcase physicians and showcase the problems in the healthcare system that we're in and highlight like the problems that we go through in our community. And, you know, one way about talk, one way about addressing these problems is understanding that, you know, the, the way we do business and the way we're incentivized and the way that we are not allowed to pursue our autonomy, our mastery mm-hmm. and our purpose um, is, is leading to a lot of that. And the, the books you've written are probably um, great resources for doctors to check out. And Well, thanks. Yeah. I hope so. Well, great. Thank you, Dan. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this special episode with Daniel Pink. Do us a favor if you could like and share this episode with your friends. Take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your story, tag us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Beyond Medicine or Beyond underscore Med. We'll shout you out, guys. It'll help us grow our podcast. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being a part of our Beyond Medicine community. We hope to see you next time.